0: Alright, uh, we're going to talk tonight about work, but uh, before we do that we need God's help, so I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can uh, meet together this evening to consider your word. We ask now that as your Holy Spirit guided the writing of the passages we're going to consider today, so too your Holy Spirit would guide us as we read them and as we have them shape our own lives as we think particularly about this topic of work. Help us to concentrate tonight, Father, especially in the heat. Help us to think uh, about what we're thinking about and really spend some time usefully thinking about how to be a Christian uh, with work. Amen. Well, let me ask you this to start off. How was your week at work? I was on uh, holiday the week before last, and going back to work made me realise that I really, really like holidays. (laughs) Really like holidays. And so, uh, on Monday when I walked back in my office door, it wasn't with the greatest of enthusiasm. There wasn't a real spring in my step as I walked back to work. And it wasn't just I had a mountain of work and a mountain of emails and a sales team that was baying for my attention after being away for two weeks. It was simply the fact that I was back at work. How was your week at work? How was your week uh, at the office? At the shop? In the home, perhaps? on the road or in the hospital, wherever your workplace is, was it fun? Do you look back at your week and think, I had great fun at work last week? And if you've been on holidays, if you're lucky enough to have extended your holidays into the fourth week of January, are you looking forward to going back to work? Because the fact is, work is something that dominates our lives and we plan a lot of things around work. I did the numbers once and I determined that about 40% of my waking life is spent at work. And that doesn't include the mountain of chores waiting for me when I get home, which, let's face it, is even more work, right? So work takes up a lot of my life, and it takes up a lot of our lives. And as Christians, we should ask questions about work. We should think about it, and we should act accordingly, because it's just too easy for us as Christian people to simply default into worldly views of work, and worldly work choices, and worldly work behaviours. And that's not good enough, is it? That's not good enough, because as followers of Jesus, uh, more is expected of us. We need to act after we've thought about what we need to do, and that only comes after we ask the right questions. And in fact, there are three questions we should ask as Christian people, and they will see them on your outline. The first of those is, why do we work? The second is, what sort of work can a Christian do? And then finally... How should a Christian work? And on your outline, there are a number of passages we'll be working through, so it'll be handy to keep that open. Uh, Now, before I start, I just want to let you know that each of these questions could be a sermon series in and of themselves. And uh, while I work on Jeff to try and get us that series on work that I think this church deserves... Uh, Today I want to provide some broad outlines, ideas and perhaps some answers to these three questions so we at least have a Christian framework for thinking about work as most of us head back to our workplaces tomorrow morning. So let's turn to our first question, the question of why. Why do we work? Because this question really is foundational to everything else about work. If we don't know why we work it's very, very difficult to then choose what work to do and or how we then do that work. Well, thankfully as Christians we can be clear about why we work because God's word is very clear and he he gives us two reasons why we work and you can see those in your outline. The first reason we work is because as human beings we were designed to be workers. Look with me back at the first reading in Genesis chapter 2. Now, In Genesis 2, if you know your Genesis, this is life before the fall. This is before sin entered the world. In other words, we see in Genesis 2 the world exactly as God originally intended it to be. Look with me at Genesis 2 verses 4 to 6 and then verse 15. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see, Genesis tells us that in God's original plan for humanity, we were designed to work. In God's perfect garden, in perfect relationship with him, God created each of us to be a worker. Now that may surprise many people, because I think a lot of people have this view of Eden as a place where Adam and Eve simply kicked back and relaxed. But that's not God's plan. And when you read Genesis, you realise that God's plan for us as his creatures was that we were created to work. And in that perfect Eden, Adam and Eve were perfectly happy to do so. But I think, uh, I think that, that begs the question, doesn't it? If this was God's perfect plan, uh, why is the work that we experience sometimes so imperfect and sometimes so difficult? Well, of course, when uh, sin came into the world, it not only fractured the relationship between God and man, but it also fractured every other part of God's perfect creation, including work. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, that work is now a chore, something to test us and try us and to wear us down. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 3. To Adam God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Work after the fall is now hard, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and maybe this fits more with your image of work. This is work in a sinful world in the world we live in and while it's not how um, God intended it for many of us that is the reality isn't it nonetheless even within this reality we need to keep in mind that working is God's plan for us and that even in the dark times at work it's encouraging to know we are doing exactly what he made us for and If that's not enough reason to make you think a little bit more positively about work, then the second reason why we work is because the Bible tells us to. To be a Christian, you see, if you read the New Testament, you'll see to be a Christian means to be a worker. Look at the four passages on your outline. Firstly, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul tells the Thessalonians, and now us, sitting in Chatswood in 2007, tells them this. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busybodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. In other words, Christians are to work so that we can look after ourselves. Then, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul extends this provision requirement further when he says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, Christians are to work so that we can look after our families. Then, thirdly, in Ephesians chapter 4, we see Christians are to work for reasons even more expansive than ourselves or our families. Paul writes this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. In other words, Christians are to work so that we can look after those less fortunate than ourselves. And finally, in Galatians chapter 6, we see that our work is to be used to support those who minister to us. Paul writes this, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. In other words, Christians are to work so that we can support those who serve us and teach us and encourage us in our Christian walk. So we know now why we work, don't we? Because we are designed to work, and indeed in the New Testament, we are told to work by Paul and the other apostles. And work, I guess I want to leave you with, is work is not necessarily a bad thing. It's been fractured by sin, but it's not a bad thing. It is God's plan and it's his command for us. And when we work, we are be- being obedient to his will for our lives. And that's a good foundation for us as we do our work. It's a good foundation to know we're doing what he tells us we should be doing. But that then begs the question, doesn't it? What work can a Christian do? Or perhaps in other words, does being a Christian change what we may and may not do for work? Well, uh, the answer to this is a resounding yes. However, getting to what the absolute answer and definition of that can be a little bit harder. So let me take a moment to explain. Uh, You won't be surprised to know that the Bible is absolutely clear that there are some jobs that a Christian is not allowed to do uh, because we are prohibited from stealing In Exodus chapter 20 and in Ephesians 4, which we just read, a career as a thief or a cat burglar is unfortunately out of the question. Uh, Similarly, the Bible's stark warnings against murder, in Exodus 20, for example, means that Christians who want to follow in the footsteps of Tony Soprano are very sadly mistaken and need to reconsider their career options. There are a number of types of, of careers like this that we can clearly say that are not available to the Christian. The flip side of that coin is that there are a number of careers which are clearly endorsed by scripture in the sense that people are encouraged to do this work and gospel ministers is the most obvious one that springs to mind. Now that's a pretty black and white example, isn't it? Murderer and a gospel minister. And for most Christians, considering what work they do, most jobs are going to fall in the middle between those two extremes, aren't they? They fall in the grey zone. They're not prohibited They're not endorsed, and they're not even mentioned. Um, The job that I do, I'm a sales and marketing manager for a giant US healthcare conglomerate, uh, was not envisaged by Moses or Paul or any of the other biblical authors. And it falls into this grey zone. And simply put, in this grey zone, what work we do is a wisdom issue. And whether we should do it or not will depend on a number of factors. A number of factors, and let me demonstrate what I mean. When I occasionally conduct uh, seminars talking about work, I love to ask this question to a Christian audience. Is it appropriate for a Christian to take on the role of a marketing manager for a tobacco company? Is it appropriate? And there's a bit of talking back and forth, but at the end of the day most people say no it's not because it's marketing a product that kills people, and that's a bad thing. So fair enough. Okay, so then I ask, well, what about, is it, is it appropriate for a Christian person to be a consultant to the company, say, uh, consulting to improve the production efficiency of a tobacco factory, is that okay? Back and forth, back and forth, my people say no. Then I tweak it a little bit, I say, well, what if that consultant is actually trying to uh, decrease the environmental impact of that factory, you know, decreasing the waste output, for example. People say, ooh, uh, don't know, don't know. And I say, OK, well, what, about, what about simply a cleaner who comes in after the work is done and cleans the floor, for example? Is that acceptable? What about, what about, what about? And yes, that's an extreme example and one very easy to knock down, but it's useful for discussion because you can see, hopefully, just in that little example, how grey it gets and that there is no one-size-fits-all answer. Because a wise decision about what work to do We'll consider the scope, the nature, the purpose, and the impact of the work. So some questions I think are helpful include these. What gifts has God given me, and what work does that suit me for? Does the work that I do harm or help people? And if it doesn't help people, should I be doing something else perhaps? Uh, Could I be doing the same thing, but in a more helpful or more servant career? Is this the best use of my skills to serve others? Uh, Does my work help or hinder the gospel? Is the work at all uh, morally dubious, perhaps? Um, Does the work uh, hinder my ability to look after my family or serve my church community? Here's a doozy. Would I happily stand before Jesus on his throne and tell him what I did with 40% of my life? And the last question I think worth asking is, why am I really taking this job? And what are my real motives? And I think this last question is necessary because we have a remarkable ability to allow our own self-interest to impact our choices, don't we? Even at the expense of what might be the wise choice about what work we do. Uh, And there's a professor, a guy called Lee Hardy, who I like to read about work, and he's made this point, which I think is very helpful. He says, the constant temptation is to evaluate a job solely on the basis of salary, security, status, and satisfaction. Oddly enough, benefits that accrue to ourselves. Certainly adequate pay, financial stability, a measure of social dignity, and a sense of vocational fulfilment are significant considerations in applying for jobs. But the most important consideration for the Christian, he says, is service. Being a Christian must impact what work we do. And as I said at the start, I think this is an area where we as a Christian people have not thought long enough and hard enough about the choices we make. And uh, I was heartened the other day to hear the story of a Christian man who turned down a very lucrative offer to work for Tabcorp. And if you don't know Tabcorp, it's the largest gambling company in Australia. He turned it down because although he felt the job was fine, he was going to do an accounting role of some sort, and he said being an accountant's a good thing, you can, you can you know, do the right thing there. He did feel that as a Christian, he could not work for a gambling company. Now, I'll happily discuss with you whether, I th- whether he was right or not, and I definitely have views on that. Uh, but this is a sort of decision that I long for from Christian people. Well-thought-out decisions that fully assess whether or not a job is the best one for you as a Christian person. That's what I long for, people to think about the choices rather than just defaulting into the first job that comes their way. Okay, well that now leaves us with the final question. How does a Christian work? And of the three questions, I actually think this is probably the most important one because it's where the rubber hits the road. In the sense, it's where we make choices that matter in the everyday you can make choices tomorrow in this area that is going to impact your witness at work and how you display your faith. Because just as at home and as at church and in your local community, in your neighbourhood, wherever you are, following Jesus Christ demands that we need to be different. We need to be Christ's ambassadors in our workplace. We need to be Christian people in whatever workplace we find ourselves. So what does that mean? Useful to say, what does it mean? Well I'm sure each of you have some ideas about how Christians should work and I've noted four passages there that might also help to assist you in your thinking about how you do your work. To start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. A great aim for a Christian worker is to win the respect of our colleagues because the fact is our actions speak much, much louder than our words and in a work context, wherever that might be, the way we do our work will often tell people far more about our faith than any words we might otherwise say. And likewise, and linked to that, a Christian worker I think is called to be the best worker possible. See 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes this, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. Now we're not slaves, are we? Uh, So we have to be careful about how we apply this, but the principle is valid. We are to respect our bosses and our employers, whether Christian or not, and this means doing the work that we're paid to do and told to do. It means being the best workers possible. And if you want to demonstrate your faith to your colleagues, which I hope as a Christian you want to do, be a diligent worker so that your diligence reflects glory on your God. And Paul points out in the next passage, it's not just our boss, there's respect we're trying to earn. Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Because ultimately as Christians, we don't work for men or women, but for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And even if we think we can cut corners and do a shonky job or not work properly for our earthly bosses, let me guarantee you that your heavenly boss won't overlook it. Something to keep in mind. Something to keep in mind. Now, they're very broad brushstrokes, aren't they? Um, So what does it mean, though, to work in a Christian manner? What does it mean to work for the Lord? How will it look differently to the way other people work? Well, let me give you some ideas to consider. Five things that Christian workers, again, wherever you may be, I think, should need to think about. Uh, it's not a comprehensive list, it can't be. But uh, just so you know, they aren't my own personal list. They are behaviours expected by God as detailed in Scripture. And if you think about them, you'll notice that they should describe a very different workplace to the ones most of us will work in. Firstly, Christian workers need to be careful about how we use our tongue, the words we use. This means not swearing, not engaging in lewd conversations. It means not gossiping about others. It means not using our words to hurt or backstab others in our workplace. Our words as Christians are to build people up and to love them, not to destroy them or discourage them. Let me ask you this. Look back at your week at work, if you've been at work. What grade would you give yourself for how you spoke with or about other people where you work? Number two, we know that Christians uh, shouldn't steal, Uh, And in a work context, this means, of course, that it's unacceptable to take petty cash or stationery or supplies or stock off the shelves. But it also extends to not stealing time from our employers. That is, not using the time that they're paying us to work to do other things, such as spending time on the telephone or on the internet. Now I work in an office and these are actually real issues at work the amount of time people spend doing these things. And i found in the workplaces that I've been involved with that generally there is an acceptable practice. You know, what is accepted in those sorts of things. And let me say that a Christian does not go beyond those acceptable practices. In fact, they don't even butt up against it. They step well before that. And similarly, it also means that a Christian does not take a sickie when we're not genuinely sick, even if it is a great Australian pastime. A Christian doesn't steal anything whether it's money, or supplies, or time, from their employer. So let me ask you this. Are there things you need to change about the way you do your work as you go back to work tomorrow? Thirdly, Christian workers must love others in the workplace and put others before themselves. Uh, It'd be a fairly different workplace if everyone followed that sort of rule, isn't it? But don't just think about the theory. As you think about where you work or spend most of your time working, is there someone in that workplace that you could love more or serve better? Is there some way you could demonstrate your faith just by the way you act towards them? Maybe there is. Similarly, Christian workers should oppose wrongdoing and even evil if it's occurring in your workplace. And this includes practices within the workplace, like uh, discrimination or perhaps bullying, but also it includes the outputs of the work that you end up doing. So for example, if your company is trying to cheat a supplier, the Christian worker is called to stand up against these sorts of practices. Now I was speaking to a teacher after a similar talk like this late last year, and uh, she realised during the course of our talk, and we had a discussion about it afterwards, that she needed to stand up to a fellow teacher in her staff room who was bullying other teachers, even though she herself wasn't being bullied. She felt that as a Christian she needed to stand up to the bully to protect those weaker members of staff. And I think she was right. It probably wouldn't come without personal cost, but I think she was right. And I guess I'd ask you, are there things that you need to stand up against at your workplace? Finally, fifthly, Christians, workers should be content. And I think men in particular need to hear this. We, make sh- we need to make sure that we don't treat work as an idol, that we serve with our whole lives, as some people do. We shouldn't Pursue career and promotion at the cost of our families or our ministries or even our colleagues. Especially in in corporate Australia, which is where I hang out, where workaholism is rife, Christians need to demonstrate our faith in how we balance work with the rest of our lives. We need to demonstrate our faith in how we react to missing a promotion, say. We need to demonstrate our faith in how we put other people before our own career. And we need to show most of all, that we find our identity not in a pay scale, not in a corner office, but in the fact that Jesus Christ died for us because he loved us and because God loved us. Work is something we were created to do, but not at the expense of the creator himself. So let me ask you this. Do you need to revise the importance of work in your life? Now, of course, there are a number of other areas that we could also mention, but those are five that I find most contentious when I talk about work. The key thing, though, is that we at least need to think about how we work and then choose to act in a way that honours Jesus, that honours the Lord of our lives and shows that in the place that we work. Because it's only if we act appropriately, that is the way Jesus wants us to act, that we will earn that respect, which then gives us the right to tell people and tell our colleagues about Jesus and the change he's made in our lives. You know, the fact is, we can't tell people we follow Jesus if our lives don't demonstrate that very fact, can we? And people won't ask why we think differently if we're not acting differently. And that, I think, is what Peter's alluding to in 1 Peter chapter 3, when he says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's telling us here that Uh, if we live Christian lives, demonstrating the great hope we have as Christian people, those people, including those people that you work with, will ultimately ask you why you live the way you do. Now, we may not lead with the gospel in your workplace. In fact, it might be prohibited. There are a number of workplaces in Australia where you're not allowed to speak about religious things. But if we live Christian lives, we should always be prepared to share the gospel with those with whom we work because the questions will come. If we're different, people will notice, and they will ask. But again, it's only, only, only if we are different. That is, if we are Christians in the way we work. And that's how we have to work. Okay, this is a big topic. You've been very patient, thank you. Uh, But, you know, I want to just remind us once again that work is a big part of our lives. And uh, it requires, I think, a lot of thought and probably even more action. Now, I'm going to keep working on Jeff for a series. He's a very stubborn man sometimes when I'm working on it. But the three key things that I want to leave you with, the three key questions I want you to think about are these. First, we work because it's what God designed us to do and because it's what the New Testament tells us we must do as Christians. Secondly, being a Christian does make a difference about what work we can do and we need to be wise about the choices we make. And there are some jobs that a Christian simply cannot do. And finally, thirdly, how we work is crucially important. The Bible calls us to be good workers because we ultimately work for Jesus Christ. But not only that, it's only by demonstrating our faith, by living the hope that we have, that people will be intrigued and ask why we do what we do. And if we don't live in a way that glorifies Jesus, we'll not be given the opportunity to glorify him through the words that we give them. It's a lot to think about, uh, so let me encourage you to do just that. So think about why you work, what work you should do, and how you should work. And if you need to change, let me encourage you to take the bold steps to actually start changing. Uh, I personally have found that change requires a lot of help, so as I close I'm going to ask God's help uh, for that change. Dearest Father, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves, and we thank you that you have designed us to work. Father, we ask now that you would help us to think properly about work, to think about the choices we make when we choose our work, and also to think about how we go about doing our work. Almighty God, we want to glorify you in all that we do. Help us to be good workers, to be salt and light where we are each day, and help us to be your ambassadors wherever we work. In your son's name, amen.